It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Masks off, New York. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. The state health commissioner said today you don't have to wear a mask at hospitals or health care facilities starting Sunday in New York. The move reflects a period of transition in the pandemic because of decreased levels of COVID, we're told. Hospital staff, patients, and visitors have been required to wear a mask since the early days of the pandemic. Important to note here, individual hospitals and healthcare facilities can still enact their own mask rules. Searching for signs of life, that's the other big story today. There could still be survivors here. We hope so, and that's why we're going to keep trying. Rescue workers continue their round-the-clock operations in the rubble from Monday's devastating earthquake overseas. Correspondent Matt Bradley. Today, Turkish rescue workers still making miracles. More survivors rescued after being trapped for almost 100 hours, including, incredibly, a 10-day-old baby. In the earthquake zone, reporter Jared Hill tells us about another remarkable survival story. In Gaziantep, Turkey's shout of joy after 17-year-old Adnan was pulled from the rubble today. There was a brief pause for a relieved mother's embrace before he was placed in the ambulance. Adnan later told a reporter he drank his own urine to survive 94 hours under the rubble. The death toll from the quake at the Turkey-Syrian border has now surpassed 22,000. President Biden downplaying the security threat posed by China after its spy balloon floated for days across the continental United States. It's not a major breach. I mean, look, it's a violation of international law. It's our airspace. Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton. Anytime a Chinese airship enters American airspace, it's a major breach. China sent a balloon to spy on America. The Biden administration had a chance to shoot it down off the coast of Alaska, chose not to do so, and the balloon proceeded to spy all across America. China's balloon was the focus of a Senate hearing yesterday on Capitol Hill. Montana Democrat John Tester grilled Pentagon officials about why the balloon wasn't popped sooner. You guys have to help me understand why this baby wasn't taken out long before. We think before we shoot. Florida Congressman Michael Waltz. The message that the rest of the world got was that America is either incapable or unwilling to defend its own airspace against a balloon. That's a message sent to both our adversaries and our allies, and it's not a good one. The Chinese spy balloon had multiple antennas capable of listening in on American conversations and then transmitting that information back to Beijing. Congress investigating whether the FBI provided political cover to the president in regards to the Hunter Biden laptop story. The president seems not too worried. The public's not going to pay attention to that. They, they want these guys to do something. If the only thing they can do is make up things about my family, it's not going to go very far. Jeanine Pirro at Fox News thinks the American people do care about this story and the polls prove it. Three quarters of the American public who were questioned said that this was critical information that they should have known about that was suppressed by the FBI and by Twitter and social media. Of that three quarters, half of them said it would have changed their vote. And we're talking about both Republicans and Democrats. There is a probe underway on Capitol Hill.
material into social media suppression of the Hunter laptop story. The Justice Department has subpoenaed former Vice President Mike Pence as part of the ongoing probe into the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol. Legal analyst Lori Levinson. Mike Pence has said that he will cooperate, but he might feel more confident doing so with a subpoena. He can go back and say to Trump and others, look, I was compelled by a court order, by a subpoena to provide this information. The special counsel leading that probe into the former president wants to know what Pence knew about alleged efforts to overthrow the 2020 election results. Today, the FBI is searching the Indiana home of Mike Pence, looking for classified documents. Russia stepped up attacks today in Ukraine. That story, new at noon, from correspondent Cami McCormick. Russia launched a barrage of missiles and drones into six regions of Ukraine, once again hitting power stations. In the capital, they shot down six missiles, according to the mayor. In neighboring Moldova, they've summoned the Russian ambassador because one of the Russian missiles flew over that country. This year's NFL MVP is... Patrick Mahomes. It is the second time the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback has won that award. Mahomes thanked his teammates for the honor. I would never be standing here today without y'all. Every day, given everything that we have together to go for the ultimate goal, the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 57 is Sunday, in case you haven't heard. Super Bowl ads are filled with cars and beer most years, but this year, one campaign is focused on faith. It paints a positive picture of the Christian faith at a time when church attendance is falling. And that's been going down more rapidly in the last 20, 30 years or so. Allison Gray, a religion professor at St. Mary's University, says these ads about Jesus are part of a larger trend to get Christians back to church. People have to be creative in the way that they're thinking about drawing young people in by sort of meeting them where they are. The He Gets Us ad campaign targets youth who are most likely to flee the faith. Those behind the campaign spent 20 million dollars for two Super Bowl commercials on Sunday. Still to come on the Noon Report for a Friday, Marijuana Inc., TikTok ban, and some tips on tipping. But first this. Well, good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams looking at what could turn out to be an uncommonly sunny weekend in parts of the area. We're not there yet, though. I'll have forecast details coming up in 10. All right, Kevin, we'll see you then. In the meantime, let's check the stories making news where you live. As we mentioned at the top of the broadcast, New York State will allow mask mandates to end this Sunday at hospitals and healthcare facilities. This is one of the last remaining COVID-era requirements to expire. Family Life's Jeremy Miller. Yeah, the masking requirement applied to staff, patients, and visitors in hospitals and healthcare settings, regardless of vaccination status. Acting Health Commissioner Dr. Dr. James McDonald said the decision to not request a renewal reflects a period of transition thanks to decreasing infections and hospitalizations. However, individual hospitals and facilities could still enact their own masking rules. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. Thank you, Jeremy. Upstate New York's first recreational marijuana dispensary opens today in Binghamton. The pot shop is called Just Breathe, and it's the third to commence with cannabis operations in the Empire State. The other two are in New York City. More marijuana dispensaries are expected to open in the coming weeks, except in five regions where they are currently blocked by a judge's order. Those regions include Central New York, the Finger Lakes, Mid-Hudson Valley, Western New York, 
York and Brooklyn. Pro-family forces question the wisdom of marijuana legalization, especially at a time of record drug overdoses. Many law enforcement officials are concerned about an increase in crime and drugged driving from the commercialization of marijuana. Brandon Dixon, Family Life News. Thank you for that, Brandon. Many states have banned TikTok from government-issued devices, and now Pennsylvania may follow suit. York County Republican State Senator Kristen Phillips-Hill has a bill that prohibits all employees with state-owned smartphones from downloading the Chinese-owned social media app. There is concern that Beijing is using data from TikTok to spy on Americans. And efforts afoot in Albany to force a floor vote in the state Senate on Governor Hochul's choice for chief judge on the highest court. More on that from Family Life's Mark Webster. Yeah, Senator Anthony Palumbo, ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, filed suit in state Supreme Court against the Senate, Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, and Democrats on the committee that blocked a floor vote for Governor Hochul's nominee, Hector LaSalle. LaSalle's a Democrat, but hardcore progressives say he's still too conservative on issues such as abortion and union labor. The suit contends a mere committee vote to block a judicial nominee is unconstitutional. The court says it will expedite a decision and could begin hearings as soon as next week. Mark Webster, Family Life News. Thank you, Mark. Pennsylvania's junior U.S. Senator John Fetterman remains in the hospital after falling ill at a Democratic Party retreat this week. Fetterman suffered a stroke last spring that impaired his speech and ability to process information. MRI scans so far have come back negative for a second stroke or seizure. The 53-year-old is said to be undergoing further testing. Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin gave a heartfelt speech at the NFL Honors last night in Arizona. First, I would like to just thank God for even being here. Every day, I am amazed that my experiences could encourage so many others across the country and even across the world. Encourage to pray, encourage to spread love, and encourage to keep fighting no matter the circumstances. The 24-year-old was surrounded on stage by the medical staff for both the Buffalo Bills and Cincinnati Bengals. A special thank you to everyone on this stage for everything they did for me. And thank you everyone around the country and around the world who prayed for me and hoped for me. The journey will continue. On January 2nd, Hamlin collapsed on the field during a game against the Bengals. His heart suddenly stopped after being tackled. The cardiac arrest nearly claimed his life. This week, an NFL doctor declared that DeMar Hamlin will play football again. There's a push by New York Democrats to ban tackle football for young children in the state. Assemblyman Michael Benedetto of the Bronx is reintroducing a bill that bans tackle football for children 12 and under because of the risk of head injuries. He says 90% of brain development happens up until the age of 12. Benedetto has been wanting to do this for years, but now he has a sponsor for his bill in the Senate, Democrat Luis Sepulveda. The Pop Warner football organization says there's no conclusive proof that youth football can lead to CTE, which is a brain condition linked to repeated head injuries. Scott Pringle, New York. There's been a massive uptick in stolen cars in the city of Rochester. More than 400 have been taken since the start of the year, thanks in large part to a social media trend that shows how easy it is to steal. 
Hyundais, and Kias. Rochester Mayor Malik Evans. This is a major priority, these car thefts, and the fact that they are juveniles makes it even more of a priority. We need to work with particularly the parents to make sure that they are getting involved in good, positive activities, but also to let them understand that there are consequences for this. Police say many of the car thieves are repeat offenders. Business owners throughout Pittsburgh have had it with out-of-control crime. They argue cops are not allowed to do their jobs due to soft-on-crime policies coming from City Hall. There's no time for social experiments with public safety, and that's exactly what's happened. Rich Kupka runs a business on the south side of the Steel City. We have juveniles that are um, shooting people on a Monday, and they're out of jail on Tuesday. Many businesses in Pittsburgh are now hiring private security teams due to rising crime. Legislation in the Pennsylvania House would reward schools that voluntarily discontinue Native American mascots. Under the proposed bill, schools would be able to use grant funds to offset costs associated with discontinuing Native American mascots. A March 2022 report by the National Congress of American Indians found 45 districts and 113 schools in Pennsylvania continue to use native-themed mascots. Terry Diener, Family Life News. Thank you, Terry. Tipping etiquette is being called into question after the pandemic ushered in some new tipping culture. Tipping culture has certainly changed post-pandemic, but experts say one situation in which you should not be compelled to tip relates to that automated kiosk. There shouldn't be this pressure on customers, they say. Examples of this, ordering a to-go cup of coffee or picking up a takeout order. In this case, financial and etiquette experts say 20% is not the new minimum and a simple roundup to the dollar is sufficient. Folks who do deserve the 20% tip, wait staff, taxi drivers, and salon workers. These are all examples of jobs that rely on tips. Customers should consider each of them an independent contractor that they are hiring for the moment. But at the end of the day, tip what you can depending on your own finances. All right, good advice there from Aaron Rayol. An historic English-style red phone booth has been relocated in Watkins Glen, New York. Here's Family Life's Greg Gillespie. The 1940s-style phone booth had been outside the Rooster Fish restaurant for decades, but now has a new home at the Watkins Glen Area Chamber of Commerce. Rooster Fish closed late last year and began selling off items, including the phone booth. The Chamber of Commerce quickly bought it so the village wouldn't lose that piece of history. You've heard of a mobile phone before, but this may be your first awareness of a mobile phone booth. Greg Gillespie, Family Life News. Very nice. Thank you, Greg. It's Friday. Let's check your midday sports next. Hello, Brooklyn. My name is Spencer Dinwiddie, and I play basketball. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Bob Dinwiddie played his first game as a net last night. And he led the team in scoring with 25 points. Brooklyn ended their two-game losing streak, beating the Bulls 116-105. to That's not a bad way to introduce yourself to the Nets organization. Orlando beat Denver 115-104. The Suns fell to the Hawks 116-107. And Milwaukee down the Lakers 115-106. On the ice, the Flyers and the Oilers went to the shootout, and it ended nicely for Philly. James Van Riemsdyk scored the game winner. Kevin Hayes also found the back of the net in the 2-1 victory. The win moves the Flyers back to 500 on the season. 
The Islanders' four-game winning streak did not turn into five, although it looked like it might. New York took a 5-4 lead into the third and final period, only to see the Canucks put two on the board. 6-5 your final. The Red Wings, Panthers, Devils, Lightning, and Golden Knights also skated to wins. In case you haven't heard, they're going to be playing football on Sunday and the Lombardi Trophy will be on the line as Super Bowl 57 will be played in Glendale, Arizona. The Kansas City Chiefs take on the Philadelphia Eagles and Bob, here's how you know the game is really a big deal. School kids in Philadelphia have already been told there is a two-hour delay to the start of school on Monday so the kids and the teachers can stay up and watch the game. Hmm, Bob, I wonder if our boss will let us come in a little late. That is a look at sports. We can always ask, can't we, Randy? Thank you very much. Still to come on the Noon Report, the Capital Connection crew ready to chime in on the issues in the news from Albany and Harrisburg. We'll get to that next. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Jamie Reed is a queer woman politically to the left of Bernie Sanders. At least that's what she says about herself. She's married to a trans man with whom she is raising her two biological and three foster children. In November, she left her job as a case manager at the Transgender Center of the Washington University St. Louis Children's Hospital. Yesterday, Reed published her story of how she went from advocate to whistleblower in an online publication called The Free Press. Her piece was titled, quote, I thought I was saving trans kids. Now I'm blowing the whistle. Her account is so powerful and so important, I'm just going to let her speak for herself. Quote, the center's working assumption was that the earlier you treat kids with gender dysphoria, the more anguish you can prevent later on. This premise was shared by the center's doctors and therapists. Given their expertise, I assume that abundant evidence backed this consensus. During the four years I worked at the clinic as a case manager, around a thousand distressed young people came through our doors. The majority of them received hormone prescriptions that can have life-altering consequences, including sterility. I left the clinic in November of last year. By the time I departed, I was certain that the way the American medical system is treating these patients is the opposite of the promise we make to do no harm. Instead, we are permanently harming the vulnerable patients in our care. Today, she says, I'm speaking out. What is happening to them is morally and medically appalling. End quote. Reed also confirms that the disproportionate number of young patients that she worked with at the clinic, especially in recent years, were young girls. Often there was clear evidence that their dysphoria was most likely a result of social contagion. Quote, until 2015 or so, a very small number of boys comprised the population of pediatric gender dysphoria cases. Then, across the Western world, there began to be a dramatic increase in a new population, teenage girls many with no previous history of gender distress, suddenly declared they were transgender and demanded immediate treatment with testosterone. I certainly saw this at the center. One of my jobs was to do intake for new patients and families. When I started there, there were probably 10 such calls a month. When I left, there were 50, and about 70% of the new patients were girls. Sometimes clusters of girls arrive from the same high school." And she continues, quote, another disturbing aspect of the center was its lack of regard for the rights of parents, the extent to which doctors saw themselves as more informed decision makers over the fate of these children. 
My concerns about this approach to dissenting parents grew in 2019 when one of our doctors actually testified in a custody hearing against a father who opposed a mother's wish to start their 11-year-old daughter on puberty blockers. Though the girl just didn't meet the criteria for evaluation, she continues, our providers decided the girl was trans and prescribed a puberty blocker, end quote. There's so much more she covers in this article, but for Reed, the end came when she heard Dr. Rachel Levine, an official of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, claim that, quote, clinics are proceeding carefully and that no American children are receiving drugs or hormones for gender dysphoria who shouldn't. Reed knew that that simply wasn't true. And she has now filed her concerns with the Attorney General of Missouri and has gone public with what she has seen behind clinic doors. Look, anyone tempted to think that we don't have a crisis on our hands, that these terrible things are not really happening, or that the church should simply stay out of it, must first reckon with Reed's detailed and documented story. We'll link to it at breakpoint.org. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Time to take it outside, Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast. The call for this afternoon, balustre, variably cloudy. There'll be breaks of sunshine. A couple of rain and snow showers as well. Temperatures steady or slightly falling from current values. Then colder tonight, partly cloudy. But some light lake snows and flurries southeast of Lake Syria and Ontario. Maybe a minor inch or two of accumulation there in low temps 20s. Tomorrow, some morning lake flakes. Otherwise, turning out partly to mostly sunny. High temps 30s. Mostly sunny on Sunday. Highs then into the 40s. All right, Kevin, we'll take it. Thank you very much. It is Friday, the 10th day of February. This is the Noon Report on Family Life. And welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the Noon Report, we give you direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues at the state capitals. They are this week Dan Barkowiak at the Pennsylvania Family Institute and Stephen Hayford with New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, the replacement candidates filling in for Jason and Mike this week. Uh, thank you both for pinch hitting, as it were. And uh, Dan, I want to begin with you. Of course, we had those three special elections this week near Pittsburgh. That was the big story in Pennsylvania, giving Democrats control of the House for the first time in about a dozen years. Want to know, does this spell trouble for Speaker Mark Rossi? Well, I think certainly with the elections, you know, they went as expected in, in these Democrat-leaning districts. And there is now a breakdown of 102 Democrats Democrats to 101 Republicans. And, you know, Speaker Rossi hasn't changed his party. He talked about being an independent, but now, you know, he's, he's continuing kind of as, as a, a, a Democrat. And he announced a legislative calendar starting the 21st. Uh, I mean, he literally locked out legislators from being on the House floor. So we've been playing a lot of games, but ultimately, yes, we see the Democrats have a majority first time in 12 years. It's a big swing, and we certainly are going to have new challenges ahead in the coming two years. All right, we'll see what kind of legislation they put forth. Uh, Stephen... It seems like Governor Hochul is capitulating some on the armed security details at church. I know this has been a big story for
for several months. Why is she relenting? Does this mean that uh, concealed carry will be allowed now at church in New York? Yeah, Bob, the governor is relenting in the sense that she's released a budget proposal that tracks some of the early court decisions challenging New York's Concealed Carry Improvement Act. Court decisions have not gone well for the governor. One judge in particular said that the Constitution requires churches be allowed to have security details that would be armed if those churches so chose. We will have to see how it goes with the budget process on April 1 when the budget presumably gets done. We'll see if that language is still in there. So New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms not yet advising churches to go ahead and practice concealed carry, but to stay tuned. But it certainly looks like is, uh, things are moving in that direction. All right. Well, thank you for that update. Uh, Dan, Governor Shapiro says state workers are at least 2,300 of them. It's a small drop in the bucket when you think of the 80,000 employed by the state. But uh, at least uh, some have to start showing up at the job. Uh, do you support this endeavor? If you do, why is it taking so long to, to get to this point? Well, I absolutely support it. It's long overdue. You know, we need to get out of this COVID mindset back to creating, a, you know, the best work environment. And that can't happen you know, working full time remotely. And, and right now, of those 80,000, 18,000 salaried state employees telework. And, and so the governor's move, it's a good start for Pennsylvania. It's good for Harrisburg. I know my favorite pizza place is going to enjoy having more workers downtown, <laughs> as it should be. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. Any recourse, Stephen, for New York municipalities? I don't want to get too much in the weeds on this, but part of the governor's plan to construct hundreds of thousands of new homes is to enforce a state-sponsored land grab, for lack of a better term. Is there any recourse for local towns and villages to fight this land grab that the governor is about to unleash? Well, Bob, the governor is proposing to take some pretty strong action to deal with the lack of housing in New York. The issue that comes up is the conflict between the state's goal of creating more housing and municipalities' right to home rule. There's going to be a lot of pushback from suburban municipalities. The issue that comes up is the state saying if you don't meet these quotas, essentially the state's going to come in and overrule the towns in upstate New York and say we're going to go ahead and approve new construction in your town, even if it violates your zoning ordinance. Gotcha. Uh, you mentioned the, the uh, Pennsylvania House will begin business again on February 21st. The doors will be unlocked. Do you think, Dan, that one of the legislative items that the now Democrat majority will pursue will be assisted suicide? Because I know in New York that's come up. Is there any appetite for that in the General Assembly this year? Well, I think, unfortunately, there is going to be an appetite by some lawmakers for a variety of troubling pieces of legislation. You know, how far they progress is kind of still in question. But as far as assisted suicide, you know, there were proposals last session. We're still waiting for the House to kind of get underway. In the Senate, there is a co-sponsor memo circulating for support of assisted suicide. And yeah. it's really an important reminder to those listening uh, to connect with your state senator, state representative on important issues and to make sure to stay tuned and updated on movement of these types of bills. Yeah, this is already moving forward in the uh, New York State Legislature, Stephen. The uh, American American Alzheimer's Association has launched
long supported doctor-assisted suicide, but they don't anymore. How come? Well, Bob, the Alzheimer's Association uh, had made a decision late last year that they were going to coordinate some efforts with a group called Compassion and Choices, one of the key lobbying groups that's promoting assisted suicide here in New York. And what happened is, based on what the Alzheimer's Association has said, is that they didn't do their due diligence to find out what Compassion and Choices was really all about. And once they found out, they backed off and affirmed that the Alzheimer's Association supports palliative care. Hey, uh, marijuana legalization is also a big topic these days. Where do things stand on that front in Harrisburg, Dan? Yeah, Bob, that's a great question. You know, an important reminder is how today's high-potency marijuana causes harm and addiction. I want to repeat that everywhere I go. And, And there are some legislators who deny that fact. You know, even making jokes that the only thing at risk with using marijuana is potato chips because of the munchies. You know, you you can't work in an ER or drug treatment facility, especially in legalized states, and still make that claim that there's no consequences with marijuana use. So there is legislation going to be proposed in Pennsylvania for the harmful commercialization of marijuana for non-medical use. I would draw quick attention to Temple University, a recent study. They they found states that legalized marijuana for non-medical use saw an increase in use by teens and young adults. So where recreational use is legalized, they saw an increase in children using marijuana. Hmm. Uh, We know that starting marijuana at at a young age, teens, it leads to worse outcomes. So we we have to push back on this whole harmful agenda. Yeah, a federal judge last week, Stephen, dealt a blow to uh, marijuana licenses in five regions of the state. If you would, uh, what's going on here? Well, Bob, what happened is last year an out-of-state organization sued to challenge New York's recreational marijuana law. A judge in November issued an injunction blocking New York from issuing marijuana licenses in the Finger Lakes, Central New York, Western New York, the Mid-Hudson region, and in the New York City borough of Brooklyn. And last week, that judge denied motions to drop the injunction from November. So the injunction remains in place. Licenses are on pause in those five regions. Gotcha. And then finally, guys, this week was BLM week, Black Lives Matter week, in conjunction with Black History Month. Many schools are using this to champion racial justice causes. I'm wondering, uh, Dan, do you think that Black History Month has been hijacked by the far left in this country? Well, I think just, you know, look at what's being taught. You know, I think we should all agree that children should learn about Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks. Absolutely. But this month, we've also had examples. I'll take the Pennsylvania Legislative Black Caucus here in Harrisburg. While encouraging education with Black History Month, they're also advocating for abortion without restrictions, attacking pregnancy centers, pushing BLM, and a harmful gender ideology on children, you know, what they're calling the gender expansive agenda. You know, that's the same type of agenda we're seeing in schools. It's why parents should absolutely be concerned, be monitoring their school districts to know what is being taught and to reinforce proper education over this type of indoctrination. There you go. Uh, And then, Stephen, you'll have the last word in a minute. Do you think that Black History Month has been hijacked by the far left? Well, Bob, certainly the the Black Lives Matter at school movement seems very different from Black History Month, and I agree with everything Dan said. Uh, American history should include all kinds of Americans and teach about all kinds of Americans. But the Black Lives Matter at school movement seems to be very different. It's more of a divisive thing that's promoting an agenda, and the agenda is trying to push a left-wing version of social justice. 
in schools. And that's not what instruction should be about. All right. Well, that'll have to be the last word this week. Thank you both. The replacement candidates did very well. Uh, and if folks have questions about anything they've heard on the program today, uh, Dan, you have a wonderful website at the Pennsylvania Family Institute. Where can folks learn more? PAFamily.org. Stay informed on all the issues in New York as well, Stephen. Uh, how can folks find you at New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms? Our website is albanyupdate.com. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Capital Connection comes your way Fridays during the Noon Report or online anytime, familylife.org. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. A storm system that brought rain to the area yesterday and some pretty high winds to parts of the area last night will pull away, leaving in its wake today a chilled wind and some scattered rain showers and flurries. Over the weekend, drier air works in, clearing skies and sunshine will prevail. The call for this afternoon, balustre, variably cloudy. There'll be breaks of sunshine. A couple of rain and snow showers as well. Temperatures steady or slightly falling from current values. Then colder tonight, partly cloudy, but some light lake snows and flurries southeast of Lake Syria and Ontario. Maybe a minor inch or two of accumulation there. Low temps, 20s. Tomorrow, some morning lake flakes. Otherwise, turning out partly to mostly sunny. High temps, 30s. Mostly sunny on Sunday. Highs then into the 40s. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. Finally, at noon today, there's a flu going around. Don't know if you've heard about this. It's not really contagious, and if you get it, it'll most likely happen Sunday night. Bree Tennis explains. It has many names. The Super Bowl flu, Super Sick Monday, whatever you call it, 17 million Americans are expected to come down with it Sunday night and call in sick to work Monday. This from a survey from the Workforce Institute. They say the cost of productivity loss on the Monday following Super Bowl is in the $4 billion range. It could be fixed easily. 79% of football fans say the Monday after the big game should be declared a national holiday. Amen to that. Thank you, Bree. That's the world we live in Friday, the 10th of February. Enjoy the game, folks. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.